as we'll be looking um, at all of Ruth chapter 4 uh, this morning. We're only going to be reading verses 13 to 17, and we'll, we'll read that in a, a few moments, but I'll give you uh, a few moments to turn there. Uh, this is concluding our series on this book of Ruth, and if you don't know much about uh, the book of Ruth, I want to challenge you to go home and read it uh, today and, uh, or, or this week, whatever. It's only four small chapters, but it's a great story. In fact, it, it's, a, it's a story, almost like a love story for the movies. Uh, there's a little bit of everything uh, in this, this story. Uh, there, there's death, there's loss, there's seduction, uh, there's the customs of the time versus uh, the, the desires of the people, and then love wins in the end. See, some of you are wanting to go start reading it now, aren't you? Um, you can just see all the, uh, the tension and the trials in the story, and it ends with uh, a great love between a husband and a wife. Uh, let me sort of, uh, I'll begin with a, a word of prayer, and then I'll recap the story for those of you who are uh, a few weeks behind, and you can go home and read it uh, this week, and I know you'll I know you can't wait after church to just dig into uh, uh, the story and read it for yourselves. Let me um, begin with just a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly God, I just thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word and for opportunity to, to open that together and to read individually but also collectively as your church and to seek to learn together in your ways. Lord, be honored and glorified through all that we do. And Lord, may I not speak anything that is outside of your word and your truth. Lord, help me to honor you and glorify you in all that we do. And help us, Lord, to all be attentive to your Spirit's guidance in our life. Teach us your ways. Help us, Lord, to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll try to give a quick summary of uh, the first three chapters of this book of Ruth. It's a great story. It starts off with a lady named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. Now, Naomi and Elimelech are living in Bethlehem. But there's a, a terrible drought in Bethlehem, which, according to uh, Hebrews' tradition, the way things went, God always promised that He would bless the people there in Bethlehem. He would care for them as long as they're faithful to Him, which this time of judges and this time of drought was a time in which the people were not faithful. The people of God were not being faithful to Him, and they were struggling, and they were suffering. And so Elimelech thought that he and Naomi and their two sons could go over to a land that, ha- that didn't honor God, called Moab, and they would wait out the storm, in a, in a sense, and they would wait there until the drought was finished, then they would come back. So they moved, this Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons moved to Moab, but when they were there, Elimelech died. And so what he thought would be a short journey ended up being his last journey. And Naomi was left there to raise two sons on her own, which is challenging, especially in those days, because she was trying to raise these two sons in what was a male-dominated sort of society. Men owned all the property. Men had all the possessions. And uh, and women struggled often to survive unless they had a husband or uh, a father to look after them. Naomi is in this land that she's not familiar with, another uh, a place that didn't honor God, a place that actually had many different gods that they served. And so she's kind of on her own raising these two sons, but she does it. She raises these two sons. They each raise up and they find girls from Moab there to marry. And each of them marry someone from Moab. And then they live there for a number of years, around 10 years or so. And then each of Naomi's sons die. And Naomi is left with two daughters-in-law all living together. And she's trying to care for them. And she does this in what is essentially uh, a a man's world 
uh, as far as possessions and finances and all that kind of stuff. They struggled to survive there in Moab. And then Naomi gets word that the famine is over, the drought is over, and the famine is over in Bethlehem, and that God is providing for the people. And she said, oh, wait, well, that's my people. I'm going to go back, and God will provide for us here. And so she encourages her daughter-in-laws, go back and be with your family here in Moab. Uh, one of them, Orpah, she decides to go back and be with her family. But Ruth says, no, I trust in your God. From now on, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And so Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. Now, in Bethlehem, you would expect the story would go, wow, God provided for them and God cared for them. And all of a sudden, they're experiencing the bountiful blessings that is what's happening in Bethlehem now. But that's not really the case. When Naomi and Ruth went back, yes, God provided for them, but not in that sort of bountiful blessing way that you might expect. They were lower than the servants. In fact, after the servants went through the fields and and gathered all the grain, they were allowed to go and what they call glean the fields, which means they picked up the scraps that the servants might have left. And hopefully that was enough to survive. And God led them, uh, Ruth, to say, look, I'm going to go glean the fields. And Naomi said, yeah, that's fine. And God leads her to this field of a man named Boaz. Now, she doesn't know Boaz. She'd never heard of him. But it just so happened it would seem, that she went to this field of this man named Boaz. And Boaz gives them permission to, um, uh, to, to glean the fields and he leaves extra, has his servants leave extra for them to care for them, provide for them. And then Naomi, last chapter, if you remember, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, thinks, you know what, this Boaz is a pretty good catch. So he'll be a pretty good man for you, Ruth. And so... I've got a, a plan that if you just seduce him and he, you, he takes you as his wife, then we'll be, we'll be sitting pretty. We'll be provided for. We'll be in, in the family. And we don't have to worry anymore. We don't have to glean the fields behind the servants. You'll be a wife and you'll be family. And we'll all be c- cared for. You see, Boaz was actually part of Elimelech's family. He was what their Hebrew tradition called a guardian redeemer. Now, what that meant essentially was if a, if a husband dies, a husband or a father dies, his, all his land, all of his possessions, including his wife and children, went to the nearest male relative. Now, that could be a brother, it could be a cousin, it could be an uncle, whatever. And that male took on all the possessions, took on the wife, took on the kids, and raised them so that the family name would continue. Now, it sounds a little bit crazy Uh, to us in our our customs and traditions. That was a Hebrew tradition at the time. And Boaz was family. Again, Ruth didn't know that. God did, didn't he? And he he led them to to Boaz, who Boaz doesn't fall, though, for the seduction. Naomi says, look, go in while he's sleeping, sneak in, lay next to him in his bed. He'll make you his wife. And then we're sitting pretty. We're fine. We're taken care of. But Boaz wakes in the middle of the night, finds her laying there, finds out who she is, and she says to him, look, you're my guardian redeemer. Just take me and make me your wife. And he says, look, it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer, but there's someone who's even closer to you, closer relative, and it's, it's actually his choice first. And so he fights off temptation, and he honors God in following their traditions. And he says, look, I've got to ask this other person first, this unnamed uh, character. And guess what happens? This leads us into chapter 4. And you've got to read this for yourself. You've got to go up because 
Chapter 4 begins, verses 1 to 12, by saying, Boaz waits at the city gate early in the morning for this unnamed guy to come by, this guardian redeemer. And when he does, he's, he's there and he says, Look, I've got something to talk to you about. So he gets all the elders of the community together. And he says, Elimelech has died and, and, you know, Naomi and Ruth have come back from Moab and they need a guardian redeemer. You're the closest relative. And so we need someone to take over all Elimelech's land and his possessions. And he goes, sure, I'll do that. And he goes, okay, well, good. He goes, if you do that, you also get Ruth as your wife. And he goes, oh, on second thought, I'd rather not. Pretty harsh, isn't it? It's pretty harsh. He's like, oh, yeah, give me the land and possessions. Like, oh, and you also get Ruth as your wife. And he goes, oh, actually, on second thought, I better not. And so he decides not to. And so Boaz then proclaims, that's fine. I will take her. I will take her uh, as my, my wife. I will be her guardian redeemer. And I'll look after her. And that leads us up to verses 13 to 17 that we're going to read uh, this morning. So look with me in, Bo- in Ruth. Ruth chapter um, 4, beginning verse 13, says this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and she cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father, uh, sorry, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So let me just pray for us again. Heavenly God, I thank you that you're a miracle-working God. And even when it seems like You're not on the scene. You are and you're working all the time for our good. And God, help us to learn to trust you, not when we can just see the way laid out before us, but help us to trust you in the tough times. Help us to trust you in the times of loss. Help us to trust you in the times when we can't see it all coming together because we know that we know that we know that you are our great God and you love us. Thank you, Lord, for the story. Help us through it now, Lord, to learn your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, the story of Ruth here and Naomi and, and all these, these characters in this tiny little book isn't just a, a love story. It's not just a story about Ruth and Boaz getting together. This is a story about God's faithfulness and the fact that we can trust God through the day-to-day routines of life. Things didn't always work out the way that Naomi and Ruth had planned. I mean, Naomi had her own little scheming and her plan on how to work things out, how to get in there, and, and none of it seemed to go through. But yet God provided for them. God cared for them. Even in, uh, with, with Boaz here, he stepped in as that guardian redeemer. And I think it's interesting that God leads Ruth and Naomi to him. I mean... God knew who the guardian redeemer is, didn't he? He knew who the closest relative is. He's God. He, he created all people. He knows all things. So he knew who the closest relative is. But isn't it good for Ruth that God didn't first lead them to this man's fields, whoever he is, this unnamed uh, guardian redeemer? 
because he was happy to take the fields, but he just flat out rejected poor Ruth. And Naomi, he didn't want to care for them. But in his wisdom, and unbeknownst to, to Naomi and Ruth, God was at work. And he led them to just the right fields to say, hey, can I glean behind your servants? And they sort of build that relationship and get to know him. And then he finds out, she finds out he is the, the guardian redeemer. God provided that protection. He provided provision through Boaz, even in those early days. And then here, Boaz steps up and becomes her guardian redeemer, her, her, um, her husband. And he takes on the, the land and possessions, yes, but takes her as, um, as his wife and cares for, uh, for Ruth and Naomi. God led them to just the right person in just the right time, even when it didn't seem like he was at work. When it seemed like things weren't working out and they're still gleaning the fields and they're still a little lower than the servants, they're dropping a little extra for them, yes, but it seemed like nothing was working out and yet God was there working all the time. Man, He's faithful, isn't He? He's a faithful God who works in our lives to lead us to what is right, to lead us to what is best, even when we don't see Him at work. He is at work. I mean, here's this great story of Boaz saying, yeah, I know I could take you as my wife. And he could have done that. She's saying, hey, I'm yours. But he goes, no, I need to do what's right, and I need to follow God, and I need to honor Him, and we need to wait and, and allow this other guardian redeemer to kind of step up and take his place. But he says no to Naomi, so Boaz quickly says yes. And he steps in and saves the day. He had his chance before to do things the wrong way in a sense, but he's decided to do what is right. And now the wedding bells are ringing. Love is in the air. Their love hearts flying all around and the birds are singing. It's their wedding day. They're married. And then not long after their, uh, their marriage, they find out that she's pregnant. And God provides them with a son which a son in the Hebrew tradition was the most honored child, the most honored possession because of this sort of male-dominated society. The name continued in the son. And the ladies rejoice and they say, praise God because he has provided a son for you. Through Ruth, who is more faithful to you and better for you than seven sons. Now, that seems like a pretty small statement to us. But in their tradition, that was a huge statement for Ruth. For the ladies to recognize that she is more valuable to Ruth, or to Naomi, than seven sons is a huge statement because, as I said, sons were treasured. Sons are honored. Sons get all the glory. Sons get all the inheritance. Sons get the property. Sons get the finance. That is who people look to. That's who society looks to. And these ladies say, look, she is greater. She's been more faithful than these seven, seven sons would be. Boaz steps in and, and saves the day and they've provided the son. There's a lot of similarities, though, between this book and, and Boaz in the story and Christ, who becomes our Savior, our guardian redeemer, our, the Savior of the world, to any who will trust in Him. In fact, many would say that 
Many biblical scholars say Boaz is a type of Christ, which sounds weird, but they mean a type and he's an example of Christ. He is an example of someone who steps in and and honors God and, and saves the day. And he is someone that points to Jesus in the way Jesus will become the Savior. He steps in and he saves when all hope is lost. God, through Christ, takes care of us. No matter whose we were before, no matter what sort of life we lived before, He steps in and saves. And He loves us and never leaves us. And Christ points us to God in all His ways. Boaz was not only known as a sign pointing to Christ by how He redeems redeems Naomi and Ruth, but He literally provided a direct line to Christ in his bloodline. For Boaz here is the grandfather of David, who is the greatest king in Israel's history. And David, if you know anything about the Christmas story coming up, and uh, Luke chapter 2 starts talking about that Joseph, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, the city of David, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. He is from David's family. King David's family. And uh, Boaz is David's grandfather. So, Boaz not only provides salvation to Naomi and Ruth, but he leads us uh, through his bloodline to, uh, to Jesus Christ. And the story of Jesus, who was raised by Mary and Joseph, and then led by God when he was around 30 years of age, to perform miracles and to point people to God and then to provide a way of eternal life, security and peace to any who will trust in Him. For Jesus knew that we were all sinners and that He alone as God in flesh could pay the price for us. And so He died on the cross so that any who choose to believe in Him could have life. But Jesus not only died on the cross, but three days later He rose again. And not too long after that, he ascended into heaven to be with God. And he said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to be with you, to comfort you and to strengthen you and to guide you. And then someday I will come again for my people, for my church. We have a great Redeemer in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's an old hymn at that, isn't it? There's a Redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Boaz sort of points to that. But we need to understand the story, not only that Jesus is, is our Redeemer and Redeemer for any who will choose to believe in Him because we can't redeem ourselves. We are lost in our sin. Any sin leads us to death and separation from God for all eternity, but Christ offers life to any who will choose to believe in Him. All we have to do is trust in Him. But we need to understand that this story is not just about pointing to Jesus and, and offering Boaz as in the line of Jesus or the, the family of Jesus. But we need to understand this story is about trusting God to be our Savior. The whole story of Ruth is about trusting God in the day-to-day things, the day-to-day challenges of life, the roller coaster that is our life, the joys and the challenges, the blessings and the loss. Trusting God through it all and trusting God when it doesn't even seem like He's there. Trusting God when it doesn't seem like He's working or trusting God when He is working, but He's not working the way we choose. Trusting Him because He knows what's best. 
He will lead us in righteousness. He will lead us in His strength. He will provide for us as only He can. And He will save us every time. He provides a way. He is our healer. He is our redeemer. He is the one whom we are to trust. And He is the one who leads, who gives us Christ, who leads us to Christ and His, his love and mercy and offers us eternal life for any who will choose to believe in Him. I want to challenge you this morning to trust God. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what all is going on. I know some of your stories. It's, it's a blessing to get to know one another as a church, but we don't know everything about one another's journey. But God does. And I do know this. Wherever you are on that journey, whether you're on the mountaintops or the lowest valleys, whether you're at the greatest point in your life and you're just loving every moment, or whether you don't know if you can take your next breath, I guarantee you God is with you and He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. And I guarantee you that God is at work in your life and He wants great things for your life. He wants to give you joy and peace and strength to make it through. He wants to use you to share His love and grace and mercy with others. He wants to use us as a church to love and to support each other, to share His love and grace with others in our community. God will never leave you. And even when we can't see that He's at work, we know that He is. He is faithful always. The New Testament, Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is forever faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. His mercies are new every morning. So great is His unfailing love. Isn't He wonderful? He's a God... I found it time and time again in my life. He's a God we can trust. The only God. And we can trust in Him no matter what. When our family doesn't understand what's going on or when they don't think we should be following Him, when, when it doesn't make sense to our friends, when it seems like everything is falling apart, you can keep trusting Him. When everything's going your way and when everything's going the opposite way, you can trust Him. You see, I'm so glad... I'm so glad that God's faithfulness and His love isn't based on how I feel on any certain day or how I choose things to be done. How many of you have woken up one day and you just, it just feels like the whole world is right? It feels like everything is wonderful. And you're like, thank you, God, for another great day. And you just want to go out and, and just share your love and happiness with everyone. I can tell by some of your faces, this isn't that day for you. Some of you didn't wake up that way today. But sometimes we wake up that way and sometimes you wake up and you go, you know, the alarm clock's going off and you're like, you're you're trying to hit it and knock it off and praying to God that it's actually the wrong time on there and you actually have another hour to sleep or whatever. And some of you, some of you may even this morning have walked around the house and don't talk to me, don't say anything. I just need some space. I need some time. This is not the day. We all have our days, don't we? Our joys, our days of joys and comfort and strength. When it seems like everything is fine and we have days that are rocky, we have days in all seriousness that are such a struggle and we've experienced such loss and such pain or such hardship that we don't know how we're going to make it. And there are some days we're going, thank you, God, for another day. And there are some days you're going, God, you're going to have to get me through today. The next moment, the next hour, this next day. And I'm so glad God is not emotional like we are. He's not a roller coaster sort of God. 
He is steadfast and He's strong. That's what that word means in, in the Scripture when it says steadfast. He is forever true. He's forever level, level-headed and strong. His strength never ends. His faithfulness never ends. And you can trust Him through the roller coasters of life. I want to challenge you. Go home, read through this book of Ruth. There's a lot of roller coasters there, a lot of emotional stuff, a lot of challenges they had to go through, a lot of joys and a lot of challenges. But God is faithful through it all. And even when it seems like, oh, Ruth just happened to go to this field and just happened to run into this person, God was guiding them every step of the way to just the right person, just the right way of being protected, being provided for, as He does to us. He guides our every step. He never leaves us. He'll never leave you. You can trust Him. Let me just lead us in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are. That you are a great God, far greater than we will probably ever know or ever fathom or imagine. Your love never ends. It's not based on how good we are to you or how faithful we are to you because we stumble and fall and so often let you down. But you just keep loving us and picking us back up, teaching us your ways so that hopefully we not fall in that way again and we just keep on seeking to, to honor you and you keep on being patient with us, long-suffering, steadfast and strong. And through the roller coasters that is our life, through the joys and the challenges, we don't know what life is going to bring. We don't know what each day is going to bring. I don't know what we're going to experience as we end this service today, but you do. And you go ahead. You go ahead of us and you prepare a way for us. You guide us. Lord, we can trust you. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you protect us. You are our Redeemer who's made a way for us, not only in this life, that guiding us with your Holy Spirit, but you have offered us eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who's paid the price for our sin and drawn us into your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation, for the hope and security that we have in you. Help us, Lord, to trust you, our great God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.